Welcome to Hollywood 2.0, this is Peter Katz. My guest today is John Sykes, president of Clear Channel Entertainment. We discuss how their radio business has expanded to multiple platforms, from live events to the iHeartRadio app. Get it, have it, bag it, throw yourself on the airplane and fly like magic. I'm in the business since I was in college. I was working in television and radio and graduated, uh, went to work for CBS out of school and wanted to always... I was fascinated with video because it was starting to, cable TV was starting to, uh, starting to uh, uh, really break into America when I was in college up at the Newhouse School at Syracuse University. So I did my senior paper on what was called CATV, which is Community Antenna Television, which became cable. And uh, when I was getting into, uh, when I was first discovering cable, there were mostly empty channels. There was CNN, perhaps HBO, and then a lot of snow when you push the buttons. So um, I kind of was excited about video and music on television, and you know you couldn't do it before cable because you had three broadcast networks that uh, really couldn't narrowcast. They couldn't be like radio stations. They were all things to all people. So you watched the Beverly Hillbillies, Gilligan's Island, and then the news, and uh, music was really ghettoized until you know to weekends with Midnight Special and Don Kirshner's rock concert. So uh, in uh, 1980, I moved to New York and joined a team of about five people who were starting to develop a music channel for cable television, which a year later became MTV. And we launched MTV in August, on August 1st, 1981, and it grew pretty quickly from that point on. Uh, exciting time in my life to be on, you know, part of a startup that, that, that um, that, uh, that grew into, uh, into quite a global brand. But the first few years, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the critics were all over us. They didn't think we really were gonna, we were gonna uh, succeed. Uh, we had financial, uh, financial challenges. Uh, we were eventually sold uh, by, by um, Warner Communications and American Express to Viacom, which became Viacom. So, I left there after uh, we sold out in uh, 1986, I believe it was, and, uh, and left and went into the film business, ran a record company, was in music publishing, was a manager, and about six years later I rejoined the company, about uh, I'd say maybe, maybe seven years later I rejoined Viacom to be the president of VH1, which uh, we repositioned and built into a music channel for people who could kind of outgrown or graduated from MTV. And that was in the 90s, so that's where we, we uh, really renamed it VH1 Music First, and we created shows like Behind the Music, Pop-Up Video, Legends, Storytellers, and had a, had a, had a really great time uh, re, rebuilding a, another music channel, uh, and uh, kind of had, had really had a successful run there. And then uh, I stayed at Viacom and, had, and took yet another job, became the chairman of Infinity Broadcasting, which was the radio company that they had purchased from CBS when they, when they merged. And then I uh, came back to MTV to develop some new networks and then joined a few years later Bob Pittman, who was our first president of M or our first, I guess a VP of programming and then eventually the president of MTV networks. Um, and joined him in his private equity company and had a great time working, joined the board of Shazam, which I'm still on the board of now, um, worked on the restructuring of MGM Studios and uh, Playlist.com, which was a venture we tried to, to buy and turn around at, um, 
at Pilot Group and really enjoyed myself working with Bob and he decided to come over and become the CEO of Clear Channel. I followed him over and became the president of uh, Clear Channel 1M today. So that's a very, very kind of condensed bio uh, and I've enjoyed everything I've done along the way and having a great time here at Clear Channel. It almost feels like I'm at MTV again. Now when you say it's like uh, MTV again, how much about it is uh creating this new movement of just like because you're basically you're a trailblazer and how much of it is about seeing a trend that's happening and then jumping on it like how much of it is completely re-steering versus just kind of going with like a natural motion of things i think i think with clear channel the most exciting uh i guess discovery we had we discovery we had coming in was the unbelievable combined reach of all these radio stations so it was, it was almost a natural flow to, to look at these stations as not 850 separate businesses, but really 850 O&Os that together reached 20, 250 million people a month, which is bigger than any media company in America, Facebook, any TV network, uh, you name it. I mean, Clear Channel is the biggest media company by, by far, by reach um, in America. And it really was something that Bob Pittman, who, when he came in, asked. He said, by the way, well, how many people do we reach? And, and I guess it had been so decentralized. They said, um, you know, we don't know. So they came back and said, oh, my God, we reached 250 million people a month. We could, if we did the same thing on all the stations at one time, we could basically outreach any other media platform in the country. So that's what excited me, and that's what uh, attra attracted me to the company. Having spent most of my time working on national platforms like MTV, VH1, CMT, and others, I liked, I liked the scale of this company, the fact that, that, that you could use radio and, and it could be a more powerful medium, whether you're an advertiser, a movie studio, a TV um, network, or, or, or an artist, and you could have more power leveraging radio than, than TV, print, anything. So I kind of thought of it as another way of, of creating big national events uh, and brands, uh, and so I kind of came back and joined Bob and uh, have really, really had a great time here with this business. And is that why uh, Clear Channel rebranded itself with uh, media and entertainment? Well, I think that, that, that really comes from Bob Pittman and John Hogan, where they really wanted to say, yes, we're not just a radio company anymore, we're a media company, we're an entertainment company, and I certainly joined here um, not because I'm a radio expert, I'm not. It's really, but I, I, I love the entertainment business and I love to find, find new and exciting platforms uh, that can connect, and can connect entertainment with the consumer. And I never thought that radio would be, would be thought of as a new and exciting medium, and it is just that. It is, it, if you look at it in aggregate and you look at this powerful reach, and, and now, of course, the, the digital platforms and, and the video platforms that are combined with it, it's a, it's a juggernaut. And that's why, that's, that's, that's why I was excited to come back and, and, and uh, get involved. And when you look at iHeartRadio as an app, does that give you an advantage when you're creating concerts because you have a closer relationship with your fans? Uh, iHeartRadio started as a, a kind of semi-dormant uh, digital platform uh, that uh, was in existence here when we all came in a couple a couple of years ago, 
Uh, and uh, I really credit Bob Pittman for seeing it as basically beachfront property that had not been really developed yet, and as a as a uh, as a place that where we could we could kind of set up the future of our business because we all know that everything's moving digital, and uh, so uh, we sat down in his office one day and he said, we you know because Bob and I had worked on Live Aid together at MTV. Uh, he said, "We got to do something. We got to do it. Let's put together a concert. Let's do something to really promote, get, bring attention to iHeartRadio." Um, and uh, asked me to to work on it. So I got together with Tom Pullman, who's the president of National Programming here at Clear Channel. And we put together the iHeartRadio Music Festival, and we said, "It's not really a concert. It's a festival. Let's do it for a couple of days. Let's let's bring social media into it. Let's not just make it a radio show. We'll stream it on Xbox and Yahoo, and let's sell it to a TV network. And let's make it a let's make it a multi-platform entertainment experience that starts with radio. So what happened was, we put so much promotion into this event that people began to find out what iHeartRadio was, which was a way to get all your favorite radio stations across the country on your mobile phone or your laptop. And it was just basically the digital platform for 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 our, for our radio stations, but we had to create some sort of cool platform that, or uh, some some skin we had to we had to, we had to put some skin around it that would make it uh, sound kind of new and, and and fun to the consumer, and that's what happened. And along the way, we decided, hey, listen, this iHeartRadio is starting to, to have such a great response. Why don't we rebrand? Why don't we create a national umbrella brand for all our regular terrestrial radio stations? Let's call. Let's make them part of the iHeart Radio Network, and that's what we did. We went um, and we um, we we began every hour on the hour instead of saying you're listening to Z100, a clear channel radio station. We we said an iHeart Radio station, and all of a sudden the consumers began to hear about these stations that were part of this big network called iHeart Radio Network, and it actually allowed us to create things on our stations that that had a national umbrella. So it's almost like you know. Your local NBC, uh, you know, affiliate is part of the NBC Television Network, but yet it also does a lot of local programming in your market. Uh, but at night, it, it runs a lot of prime time programming that comes from the network. So we began to look at Clear Channel as that, and we used the iHeart umbrella to to kind of brand our our, trust, our group of terrestrial stations. But all along, the real the real driver, the real reason for doing iHeart Radio was to create a digital platform so that so we. So the music industry would have a place to grow when you know when digital you know can you know hit even higher um, higher um, uh, higher levels of, di of of really of of distribution throughout you know throughout the throughout the um, the, uh, the culture and so uh, over the last two years since we we rolled it out we've gone from a handful of subscribers to 150 million downloads of the app. With almost 50 million monthly registered, you know, subscribers. So it's really when you were when you were thinking of that pivot, when you're th when you're thinking of it, did you think that this would have that kind of return on investment, like this type of uh, traction, or is this a surprise to you? We were pleasantly surprised. We knew that we knew that we knew we could create a great festival because we have a, these radio stations have a great relationship with the music community, and and when we asked them to come and be part of this diverse festival, that really. Um, that would re re reach so many different kinds of fans. 
uh, we knew the artists would like it because they didn't feel pigeonholed. They could, we had country artists next to hip hop artists, next to rock artists, because that's what iHeartRadio is. It is. It's got something for everyone. So we wanted the festival to reflect what, what the digital platform is about. But we were surprised, yes, absolutely, that, um, that the take rate would, would, would rocket, skyrocket like it did, and that it still continues to grow. Because um, we knew people would like to hear their favorite stations, but we weren't sure how quick they might be to adopt, you know, listening to your favorite radio station on your, on your, on your um, smartphone. And it just, it, just, it just took off. And we found that people either were listening to their favorite stations when they were traveling, or they would discover a station that had great music uh, in Seattle if they lived in New York because they loved alternative music and they didn't really find a good, they didn't find a good alternative radio station they liked in New York City, so they take one from Seattle. It's almost like cable television. So these became, these are really, although they're local brands retransmitted on digital, they're, or streamed on digital, they're also national brands if you've never heard of them. And what's your uh, short-term and long-term goals with iHeartRadio? You've already built a really strong foundation, so I'm just curious where you where you think there's other areas to take it. Well, we think we think that um, we 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 think that there are so many different kinds of music that are out there that we see uh, a lot of the custom channels we're putting together. You know, we just we started Evolution, a, a, a EDM channel. We put together pop-up channels when big big albums come out or movies. So we feel that we feel that still there there are millions more people who who um, will um, use use the app. We've got uh, we've got some amazing custom talk ideas that we're putting together where you can put together uh, some non-music stations that are loaded with information that are custom to your life uh, style. It could be about exercise, it could be about diet, it could be about politics, comedy that could live on the iHeartRadio iHeart platform. And uh, we see it and, and we've also used um, the the iHeart umbrella brand to create a, a, a great streaming and television franchise for our festival. And uh, over the course of the next 12 months, you're going to hear about some other, uh, other uh, television streamed events that will come from our, our events that used to only be solely uh, limited to radio. And uh, when you have these events that you're putting on, it almost feels like you have a competitive advantage uh, against other uh, promoters because they don't have that that app, they don't have all these different ways that that synergy that you have. Do you feel that's a competitive advantage for throwing events and monetizing in new ways? That's exactly the advantage. We have the we have the other platforms to drive to digital. There's no way that we would have had 150 million downloads uh, on iHeartRadio had we not had these terrestrial stations pounding away and promoting away. So it gives us a, comp a competitive advantage. If we go to the CW, like we did last year so successfully, to uh, do a licensing deal for the iHeartRadio Music Festival uh, without the backing of these, these, these powerful radio stations, we'd just be another independent producer trying to get a show placed. But now we walk into a network or an Xbox or a Yahoo or whoever it might be or, or YouTube and we say, hey, let's, let's create video uh, versions of what we're doing um, uh, event-wise or, or on radio, and by the way, we're going we're gonna to give you 100 million impressions to support it. And all of a sudden, we move to the front of the line when, uh, we're, at, when we're trying to promote or, or, or produce and or license a special 
around one of our big music events uh, uh, because we come with a marketing package built in. And when you say musical events, you have these really big epic ones. Do you ever feel that you're going to come head to head with like a live nation that since you have all this data and all this analytics on music fans that could you could spring that out in, in, a, in a more of a robust way? I think that they're in um, they're in they're in their own business as is, as is AEG and they both are in the concert they concert promotion touring business a business we don't know very well so we really stick to our we stick to our knitting which is really um, which is the media platforms we if we do something live we would go to a Live Nation or an AEG to um, to be our promoters to actually to to do what they do best and to help us. Uh, in, in a business that we just don't have any experience in. So I see that you're evolving to make what you do that much more effective. You're amplifying the influence and power, but then there's also uh, partners that fit certain components that you team up with if needed. Exactly. For example, with um, you know, if we're going to do something in television, we could go out and place the show ourselves and buy the time or partner with a, with a, with a, with a CW or an NBC, ABC, whatever. Um, with... Um, with a uh, with uh, with uh, certainly streaming, we can stream things. But but having CW.com and and Yahoo and Xbox, uh, it becomes more it becomes more uh, uh, I think more advantageous for us to partner. So yeah, we do go out and look for the right uh, the right complementary uh, media forms that would basically help us expand our reach. At the end of the day, uh, it's about it's about moving our content to the most, uh, I guess, uh, advantageous and, pla and, uh, and profitable platforms uh, to extend our reach. And so with, with Pandora, it's not, was, was Pandora looked as competition or is it looked as something that uh, is just kind of a different need that it serves? I think Pandora is, is, is a very nice product and we have a Pandora-like product on iHeartRadio, which is, which is a custom radio. Uh, um, uh, I, uh, kind of uh, part of what we do, but a lot of what we do on iHeartRadio is really, or uh, or a big part of what we do is is take these 850 radio stations and some stations from other groups too. We have over a thousand stations um, on the iHeartRadio platform, uh, college stations, some NPR stations, uh, uh, a lot of stations that aren't even owned by Clear Channel that 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 people want to be able to get wherever they are on their laptop on their PC, you know, Mac, whatever it might be, their phone, and so that's that's really what's been driving the iHeart growth. And then as they've been hearing their favorite stations, they've been saying, "Oh, what's this EDM custom station? What's this talk station?" So they're discovering that. And we do have a Pandora-like feature custom, but it's really not a driver for 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 what we're doing. It's it's nice. It's an it's it's a nice complement to what we do. But we're finding that people um, have a place in their life for their record collection, which would be our, 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 our custom radio feature like Pandora. But people also love curated content. They love, they love to discover, and you can't discover if you're, if you're in your own world. Um, and they, if they want to hear somebody talk about it, they, uh, as much as we, we sometimes may think living in the big cities, uh, oh, DJs talk too much, whatever, they, they actually, most people like their DJs because they turn them on to music. This is a new David Guetta song. This is a new Black Keys song. This is a new Muse song. And they become like a trusted source of information. So that has really kind of translated over to the iHeartRadio platform that, that people like it because it's curated. 
And um, now we're talking about how uh, content's now living in different platforms. We see that a lot of music-driven entertainment is starting to become some of the most popular videos on YouTube. Do you think more musicians will start to be able to create a business from their own channels? I think the key, uh, the key challenge, and this is really this is this is more me speaking and not really clear channel, is that is that still what an artist needs is an aggregated audience to discover their music. Doesn't have to be like the old days where where you needed millions and millions and millions because the record company took you know seventy five percent of your money and now there's ways that people can 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 produce their own music and sell it and 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 make some money and not have huge pieces taken away, but um, but still you need you need uh, you need to get people under the tent, and you need to get enough people so you can you can reach them so you can sell, which is still why curation matters. Um, and that's why I think that it's, it's, you know, even though the artists will have a chance to independent to get their music heard, you're still going to have a, you still need a place that says, okay, I'm going to find, this is this kind of music. I'm going to find a lot of people that like this kind of music or, or, or at least some critical mass. And we're going to bring them to that, to that destination so they can hear that artist so they can sell some digital downloads or, or be on a stream and maybe get a rev share of that stream or somehow get exposed so they can tour. At the end of the day, you you, you got to support the artist, and the artist needs to grow because they're the lifeblood that runs through the veins of all these services. So the so the key is maybe not necessarily having one like hip hop artist have their own YouTube channel is having a collective of all of them kind of drawing the strength have more of them under one umbrella. I think that that will help introduce people to new music because. I think one of the reasons why MySpace never really caught attention, they said, oh, MySpace, everybody can have their own channel. Well, there was a bit of the tree falling in the forest because there could be some great music out there, but, um, but no one knew where it was. There was no aggregator. Now, again, as I said earlier, you don't need millions like you used to, but you do need, you, you do need, you do need thousands. You know, if, you, if you're a young, starving artist, you're trying to sell something, you can't have 37 people listening to your music. And uh, you re- so you need someone to go out there and kind of, kind of introduce it to others. And then, then the beauty of the digital is that viral can take off and, and you can begin sharing in social media and, and, and discovering and, and you're off to the races. But you need the critical mass. And that's what I think that, that's why the, um, why our, our iHeart channels are working so well is it because they're actually, they're actually pushing new music out to you and you're helping you to discover it. But if you want to break away and just kind of listen to your own favorites, your own music collection, you don't care, then you can go on uh, our custom radio site or Pandora and push a button and you know, music comes out and you're listening to your favorite songs. It's, a, it's just a different kind of experience. So with iHeartRadio on YouTube, do you see it as like a future kind of, would people compare it to VH1 or MTV that, because you're building this audience and then you can migrate them to this YouTube, is that a potential like, you know, profit center that you see eventually? With- yeah, that could, that could, that's a natural evolution of the iHeart of the iHeart um, radio concept, where it lives on audio and then it can it can move to video, and and you can promote it on your on your radio sta- your trusted radio stations, your iHeart platform, so it can it can move there. It can move to Xbox. It can move to Yahoo. It can move to um, international platforms. It, the the beauty of the beauty of great content, which we've been able to put together, is that is that you know it just kind of it's like water flowing finding wherever 
wherever there's an opening and it just in flowing to you. So, you know, everyone talks about 360, uh, TV everywhere, radio everywhere, media everywhere. Well, it's basically the same thing. It's just that you, you know, the consumer is so, is, is so fickle now and so demanding that you basically got to make that content available everywhere. Otherwise they're going to choose something else. And you feel the advertising on YouTube is going to go up that will eventually be able to support higher quality content? I think that's, I think they're on the road to that. I think they're, they're, um, although it's a very democratic platform, I think they're realizing that, that, uh, uh, you know, that big audiences you, uh, can't be beat. <laughs> it's still nothing like having a huge channel with a, with a, with a, um, with a, 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 with a big audience because that's good for advertisers. That's good for everyone. So, um, yeah, the, the, the beauty of all these YouTube channels that started is that they're learning themselves about how um, how to aggregate an audience because they, if they're selling advertising, they need they need critical mass too. They need critical mass, and it seems like now that YouTube's realized that some of their uh, content that its advertising model can't completely support it, that they've started bringing up subscription models. Uh, do you think that's going to take on, or do you think people are going to be so used to free that they're not going to want to adopt that? I think that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question that, that everyone is asking themselves right now because uh, it's it's interesting. And having grown up a lot in the television business, uh, I saw cable, which is a subscription business. And you stop paying your cable bill, your TV went away. Uh, and everyone thought, fine, I don't I don't need to own all my TV shows. I just I'll just pay my cable bill and I'll have them. And then, uh, but music has historically been a um, you know, it's been a you know a, a free listening, and then of course a download or a, or a or a or a soft good purchase, buying a CD, uh, you know, even before that a tape, and and then and, but listening streaming to discover it. So changing consumer habits really requires disruptive technology, disruptive entertainment, disruptive ideas, and uh, I think that I think I think it's it, it's going to take. Um, an amazing experience for people to say, "Okay, I'm going to start paying." Uh, but I think what we'll what we'll find is it's going to be a hybrid. There's going to be people who are going to say, "I don't want to listen to these commercials. I, I want to really have personalized music." And for that, I don't care. I'll pay. Uh, and and I'll, that'll be a smaller audience than the free audience that still wants to say, "Hey, listen, I love commercials because they're kind of part of the the bat the, the banter out there. They're going to I, they're going to tell you what cars are out, what pants to wear, what shoes to wear, what sodas to drink." And, and, and I'm in the mood to listen to that when I'm listening to my music, but when, I, when, I, when I'm uh, in, that, in that kind of mood, when I'm into my own personal collection, well, that might be where the subscriber fee comes in, where you go, okay, no, this is going to be just me alone listening to my record. Who wants to listen to a commercial when I'm listening to my record? And that's going to be it's Pandora's biggest challenge. When you listen, the first time you heard a commercial on Pandora, you went, what? Who's that? God, I had this great music experience, and now there's a commercial on it. It'd be like I was sitting home listening to a CD, and a commercial popped up. So that's the challenge we are going to face too with our custom Pandora-like service is that, is that you really are going to have to find alternatives to dropping in commercials because people are going to get pissed off and they're going to just not want to hear it. It's, it's funny though, but when they're streaming channels or they're in their car listening to the radio, they don't care. Commercials are, are, are an accepted form there. So I think the answer to your question is I think we're going to end up with a hybrid. That some people are going to have subscription and others are going to say, I don't mind free. And, and one way that you could almost look at subscription as a possibility is people always say Kickstarter isn't a revolutionary. People are paying for content, but they're paying for it in advance. But there's a, there's a feeling that 
if you get a hardcore base, you could you could bring them onto YouTube. And even though they're not going to be as large as the overall free audience, there seems like there's a business there, and it feels like Kickstarter's uh, is an it, it sets it sets the bar uh, for what you're supposed to do, but on this crowdfunding model. But I think you could take that into subscription model if the content is high quality enough. If you can control your overhead and you can aggregate enough of an audience, reach as you say a critical mass, then subscription can be a nice business. I mean, it has been. You see, you see what uh, SiriusXM is doing. They've got 18 million subscribers. That's 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 their that's their universe. Uh, if you have broadcast radios, universe is 300 million plus people because because um, it's free. But if you manage a subscription business and you can get people to pay 12.95 a month and and control your rights fee payments and your overhead, it's a business. It may not be the way to reach a lot of people like broadcast still does. But it's but it's it's a business. I mean, listen, I grew up in cable TV. Uh, a big night for us was a two rating. And but we made billions of dollars at MTV networks because those the, those were very targeted, uh, you know, uh, channels that you could that uh, movie studios and car dealers could use and kind of like radio, highly targeted and you could use them. And, and if you if you have many, many stations and you can you can you can bundle them, you can do very well. And um, lastly, as we were talking about, you know, the future of entertainment industry, what are some of your favorite music startups and why? Um, well, I think I, uh, I, I, loved, I loved our failed music startup that we bought into a pilot called Playlist.com because what I loved about that was is I could, I could see your playlist and, and I could click and drag songs from your place if you're my friend over to my playlist and I could build like the the unbelievable uber master playlist and then someone could grab that and they could curate it off of mine and I was a trusted friend they know hey I'm um, um, you know I I love music and and um, and I'm gonna go and my friend uh, you know my friend Peter has great music and uh, and and I'm gonna check his music out and then and all of a sudden uh, you know, because he's a truck, this guy knows his music and he, I build mine and my friend. So I, I love that. And I guess that's what Spotify really is. Spotify is really is about viral sharing of music. And then eventually, if you want high quality and you want no commercials, everybody, there, there's your there's your subscription model that we talked about. So um, I think I, I think Spotify is a is a um, in concept, a great idea because we, we had our own version of it. That, and Spotify was able to raise money and kind of deal with the label's high hurdles and you know gates that they put up. Um, you know, you see some exciting things coming from RDO. Um, I think that um, I think that I I, I, I got to look at the guys from Songzo when they were starting up their service a while back, and they're really smart guys from Brown University who um, created themed playlists. Uh, I think it's gonna it, it's coming down to it, it comes down to curated playlists of music from friends that you trust and that and that's what it that's still what it is when i was a kid growing up and my friends would bring over their bob dylan albums and if they were guys that i believe trusted i thought they were cool and they brought over blonde on blonde or blood on the tracks i'd say wow okay i'm gonna listen to that because i i trust them and i would pass them along and be them be part of my collection i think that i think that that's that's funny what radio still does today it's a, if you believe in your dj whether you're 
you know, a, a young person listening to the top 40 station or you're listening to your favorite rock station, whatever it might be, um, I still think that's, it, it still is about curation. So uh, whether, whether it's traditional radio on iHeartRadio, you listen to that, or you're Spotify and you're following a, 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 someone's playlist that you don't even know the guy, but you're looking at his music and you're saying, wow, that's, that's me. That's someone who's got music I like. And oh, wow, I didn't even know that uh, I love, this guy likes Van Morrison. And he turned me on to Ray LaMontagne. So it's a, uh, I, so I'm very, I mean, kind of a fan of what of what they're doing also. So those are the the the, the folks that I I love and and listen. You know that Apple's going to come up with something very interested in the streaming world, um, and uh, but at the end of the day, I, I really believe if it's not social and if it's not connected to people who you who you trust and follow, then I, I think that will hit a dead end. You need that social aspect. I talked to the founder of Pledge Music. And now he brought up an interesting point is like, there's a huge business that people don't really exploit as the relation is the fan versus the consumer. And he's kind of built out that platform to enable artists to produce their tracks and go on tour with their, so it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting, uh, a model. Yeah. Well, the, the, the walled garden is gone now. And, and, uh, so, uh, the beauty, the beauty of the walled garden for the artist was that if you happened to get through the gaunt- the gates, the gauntlet, you could sell millions of records, or or and it, w- and it could drive tour popularity and help you sell tickets, and you could actually make a living as an artist and do well, even though the record companies took a huge chunk of your money. Um, and back in the old days, the promoters would take half your money, and now because that's all changed. So, but the the downside was if you didn't have a, uh, if you didn't have an in, you couldn't break through the system. The, 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 so the upside of, of, of all the new services and obviously viral services and social services is that, is that um, people can get discovered uh, without having a friend who works in New York or LA or Nashville. The, the, the downside is aggregation. How do, you, how do you get enough critical mass so, so you can pay the heat, the hate bill or, or, and be an artist because if it's all too watered down, then you, so what if you're getting checks for $65 a month, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to make, it's not going to make it. You're going to need, somehow you still need a crowd. You still need, even if it's a small crowd, because if it's a small crowd, you, like you just mentioned, Pledge, you can keep your overhead under control and you can do well. It's a different model. And, but um, I think that that is going to be, I think the future is not that any, any one way wins. The future is life becomes an amalgam. People said years ago that the broadcast networks were going to close down when we were starting up cable TV 30 years ago, and we said they're over, no more cable, t- no more network t- TV. Now, they're not printing money like they used to, but ABC, NBC, and CBS are still still in business, and cable is huge. And now uh, Netflix is producing original content. So I think I think the big challenges, and then we'll, I guess we could leave on this note because it is I think about the future uh, for the music side. Um, it is digital. It's how does the music industry get out of its own way and, and, and build a business that's going to exist 10 to 15 years from now. I think we've seen the film business do it with Netflix, film and TV, that all of a sudden there's brand new revenue streams for these content owners. $100 million checks going into NBC this year. That they, that they, it's newfound money. Um, Hulu is a way I can, I can stay connected on the web uh, and on, you know, to my favorite TV shows. Where is that juggernaut? Where is that great business for music? 
It's not in the 99 cent store at iTunes. It's a great service. It's an amazing service, but it was built to sell iPods and iPhones and music. I mean, hardware. Where is that? Where is that great service for these artists who can really make money off it? They can really monetize it, and 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 that's why the music industry um, and the digital industry have got to be joined together, you know, uh, you know, arm in arm in order to, to build the future. Otherwise, if they continue to battle, continue to fight, there's going to be no business and, the, and it's, going to, it's going to be Napster all over again. Someone's going to come in and, 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 and provide uh, 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 an unsafe way, uh, an unsecure way for people to get music and the artists aren't going to get paid. Because uh, these, you, you'll find that these digital businesses that are out there struggling right now are not going to be able to pay these sound exchange rates and they're going to basically go out of business, and the business and the record business is going to say, "Well, well, we got to get paid." And these these businesses are going to say, "Well, you're selling me a loaf of bread for five dollars, and I'm selling it for four, and it doesn't and doesn't and doesn't matter how what my volume is, it's just going to make me go down faster." Now, a company like Clear Channel, we're big, and we're another we're another world. We can we can still we can still thrive in in the in the terrestrial business, um, but these a lot of the other guys are just going to have to close down, and maybe even will close down if we can't. If the if uh, the the digital side, if the if the if the rights are not are not equitably um, formulated, and that's where I think that's the biggest challenge right now in the, in the music world is that the 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 labels and the digital music distributors to the consumers have got to be in sync, because if if one is getting killed, then then this doesn't matter what great artists are out, these these um. These sites are no longer going to stay in business, and that's going to be the challenge. We've got to we've got to think about a ten-year model here. We can't think about taking the money and run, running. We have to think about what is going to build a sustainable digital music business for the future, and that is something that is uh, is of concern for us because we want to be around as a business, a clear channel in ten years. So we're work, working very closely with the artists and the labels to hopefully build that model. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, great. I enjoyed it. And uh, I can't wait to listen. And it was great to meet you South by Southwest. And, uh, and thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. You can follow me at peterkatz.net. It's K-T-Z. And email me at katzfilms at gmail.com.